0: Liberty Station is brought to you by my good friends at Devoted Capital, where they believe how you profit matters. They're dedicated to helping you align your investments with your values, empowering you to a life well-lived. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show on Liberty Station, and today uh, my guest is one of my favorite people in the world, one of my favorite authors, and that is Eric Metaxas. How are you, sir?
1: Well, I'm honored to be described that way, Bryce. I thank you very much, and I'm I'm glad to be here. get to talk about important things.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to refresh your memory on how I first met you, because you may not remember this, but in... Uh, But this was um, actually a very special moment in my life, and my wife um, asked, and this is going to sound more flattering than it intends to, but my wife asked me, what days would you uh, live over again in your life where you just really enjoyed the day? And I got to um, introduce you because I sponsored you and Dennis Prager in 2019 in, in Santa Barbara, where you guys had a Bible study at the uh, big, uh, what they called the summit for PragerU back then.
1: Yes. And
0: yes. I when I introduced you guys, I said two things, and, and um, you wrote my favorite biography, which is the Bonhoeffer biography— and so it was so special to me to to get to meet you and your lovely wife and and you know sit and talk with you guys and and do that introduction and then Dennis I spent you know my years as a young salesman running around uh Southern California listening to his show so it was a massive highlight for me to be able to sponsor that portion of the event and introduce you guys and I you know knew you from your books but I didn't know how seriously funny you were, and some of the jokes that you told up on that stage, just in the you know pitter patter between you and Dennis, I still laugh about and quote from time to time.
1: Well, that that blesses me uh, deeply because I look—I'm a strange uh, bird in the sense that if you know me through the Bonhoeffer book, you wouldn't think of me as somebody uh, who you know prizes comedy as a as a great thing in life. And I joke around. There are other people who just think of me as the, the Joker guy who, you know, I've MC things and they just know my funny side. So I'm kind of all over the place. And when I get around Dennis Prager, I love him so much that I can't stop joking. So I remember, of course I do remember uh, you and your wife being there and, and the whole thing. But uh, I, in fact, right before me, before I spoke uh, Jordan Peterson spoke.
0: Yeah.
1: I remember, Jordan Peterson was so deadly serious, which he can be, that I felt even more of a need just to have mercy on the poor audience to joke around a little bit like, you know, we're not all going to die in 10 minutes because Jordan Peterson can well, sometimes come across that way.
0: Yeah, well, it was um, it was right during the time that he had found out that his wife had cancer and right. so that was really fresh for him at that time and then he was dealing with some of his own uh, health challenges as well and that was the last time that he spoke in public for yeah. a year and a half or you know whatever yeah. the length of time was um so yeah. we 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 caught him at one of his lowest points and i remember how profoundly dark it was because of you know what he was dealing with i mean it's amazing talk that he gave but it, yeah. but it was it was dark and so yeah you you did bring the the levity afterwards in a beautiful way
1: yeah well i mean it's just interesting cuz dennis was of course asking him about god and he was doing the jordan peterson shtick where he says oh i don't know how we can say that we believe in a god if we were, you know he was just so yeah. serious and i i wanted to kind of hug him and say hey hey it's going to be okay it's going to be yeah, more than okay
0: Yeah, your wife leaned over to my wife. And and by the way, she is so wonderful. And and my wife really enjoyed her and and meeting her and and, uh, um, talks about it regularly. So, you know, I I look forward to the next time we can make that happen. But your wife uh, leaned over to my wife and was like, you know, he is just so close. He needs to think about grace.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I've I've spent some time with Jordan subsequently, and he really does. uh, He's just so serious that I... Find it almost funny because I joke around so much that when people are so serious, i I just want to say, listen, if you knew what I know, there there's a joy at the heart of yeah. reality. The God yeah. uh, who made this universe uh, is is a God of love and joy, and he's real, and we can know him and he wants us to know him. Uh, and I know that. And so that's why I can kind of, in the midst of the darkness have have joy. And obviously, what we're going to talk about in my new book, is a very serious subject
0: yeah yeah and i'm uh, yeah i'm anxious to uh to get into it and i've got you know we've got so many news stories at the same time that are going that are so relevant to what you wrote in your book here um you know every day something new is coming out um you know for instance to today um you know, I think they just passed uh, by. Um, Thirty-nine Republicans actually voted for it, but uh, in the House, the uh, new Marriage Act, um, which is in the reviews that I'm looking at and what I'm reading on it, is really truly leaving us. I think open, um, or or I should say, it's sowing the seeds of the destruction of the church, um, and and. It's going to be hampering our ability to actually speak truth, speak biblical truth that that runs counter to you know any narratives on marriage and, and other things that that our um, uh, world right now is promoting.
1: Well, that's kind of the point. I mean and th- I mean, if you know to sum up my book, it's called Letter to the American Church," but to sort of sum it up, it, or at least one of the things that's at the center of this book, Letter to the American Church, is the idea that if you're a person of particularly Christian faith, because I write letter to the American church, this is the people who claim to be Christians. If you think you can avoid politics, if you think you should avoid politics, that is an unbiblical idea. And not only is it unbiblical, but if you do not fight for liberty... If you do not fight for these biblical values, you will not even get to do the one thing you think you need to do, which is preach the quote-unquote gospel. You won't even get to do that. You are going to be silenced because we have a, an essentially binary choice. The values of the Bible lead to freedom. Uh, and if you are under an authoritarian regime and you don't fight back against that and fight for religious liberty, you are more and more and more going to be unable even to say anything. Even the the, the one theological thing that you wanna talk about, the, the gospel, you won't even get to talk about that. So these things are unavoidably related. And the lie that I'm trying to push back at in a lot of what I write, but especially in the new book, Letter to the American Church, is this idea that we can just carve out our little theological corner There is no such thing. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that. It says you're supposed to take the truth of God into all the world, into every sphere, into politics, into culture, into schools, into media. And by the way, if you don't do that, you're doing nothing. You can't really hide in a theological corner. If you hide in a theological corner and just stick to what you think is uh, somehow non-controversial, you're kidding yourself uh, and you're you're doing nothing. And I think that that's why we are where we are, Bryce, in the culture is because for about 50 years, we haven't fought that battle. We haven't understood that at the heart of our faith uh, is taking that faith into every region of the world and of the culture and fighting for liberty and understanding that there's a link between faith and the God of the Bible and liberty and self-government. If you don't get that, you kind of lose everything.
0: Yeah, so I, I've been giving this book away, and I, I know it's selling like hotcakes. And you know, I know you've been uh, really blessed by that. Um, it's um, it, it is profoundly important. I've been doing the uh, Rob McCoy Junior thing in that I've been meeting with local pastors, you know, in our community. And um, you know, whenever I hear of a, a pastor, you know, I, I I tell the the crew, hey, you know, see if you can get me coffee with him. And I've been sitting down and I've been giving them the book, and and you know working on getting the commitment for them to read it but what's interesting is they all know that things are wrong and that things are uh you know trending towards this disorder so quickly but yet at the same time and you talk about this as an idea in the book i think it's in in a whole uh chapter but of the church paralyzed and it and it oh, seems like they're paralyzed well listen
1: i want to say first of all I know God called me to write this book. I'm not the kind of person that says that sort of thing lightly. I didn't write this book for my career. Uh, I didn't expect it to sell, so I'm astonished that it's selling actually very well. I didn't expect that. I wrote it because I felt God wanted me to say these things, if only to get in the hands of a handful of pastors to make them see that God's view uh, is quite different than what we in the American church have accepted uh, and that, unless we repent of our bad theology on these issues, on this central issue of whether we're supposed to be political, and unless we really understand that we are supposed to take the truth of God everywhere, including often into the political world for God's purposes, if we don't get that, we are under the same kind of judgment the German church was under when they refused to speak as the Nazis were rising. The Nazis were rising and German pastors did exactly what American pastors and leaders are doing today. They said, you know, that's not our lane. We don't wanna be political. We just wanna preach the gospel. We're gonna be quiet. We don't wanna get in trouble. And if we keep quiet, maybe they'll let us do our thing. Well, guess what? If you're quiet, if you don't fight, they will come for you. You won't get to preach your little gospel. And that is exactly what's happening in the American church today. And I knew that God wanted me to say these things because I actually believe, I'm hopeful, that there are enough good guys who will get this message and say, you know what, I, I missed this. I actually missed this. I see things going wrong. I need to repent. I need to talk about this kind of stuff. I thought I was doing the biblical thing. Turns out I wasn't doing the biblical thing. And I gotta tell you, Bryce, there are not just pastors in America that are being silent and major figures that are being silent. There are also Christians, Christian leaders, advocating silence. It's one thing to be quiet. It's another thing to advocate and say, we're not supposed to be political. There's a horrific book by Pastor Andy Stanley that came out a few months ago called, Not In It to Win It. It is theologically and historically completely nonsensical. It's just wrong. Uh, He talks, for example, about in the first century church, you know, they weren't political. and they were and I thought, yeah, guess what? In the first century church, they had no freedom. They were under the Roman yoke. They were under Caesar. We in America, we are the leaders. We have been deputized where we, the people, govern ourselves. We have a duty to speak up, to bring our values, biblical values, into the public square. And so when I read that book by Andy Stanley, I was horrified because I said, this is going to mislead thousands of people, but the worst thing that I saw was when I went on the web, the website, Amazon or whatever, and I saw a big blurb from uh, Jim Daly of Focus on the Family. And that's when I said, people that I think of as good guys yeah. are getting this wrong. They are advocating for something that is gonna destroy our ability to advocate for the unpo- for for the unborn, to advocate uh, for whatever it is that we believe in. And it's, it's what happened in the German church in the sense that many good people got it wrong. It, it wasn't just you know pro-Nazis, but it was the yeah. people in the middle that said, you know, we shouldn't be political. Let's just sit back and let's have, you know, James Hunter writes about faithful presence. Some people are familiar with that concept. It's kind of like, let's just be faithfully present. Well, at the end of the day, that is not biblical. You've got to do more than be faithfully present. You have to advocate, you have to fight for what is right and true. And the idea that the American church has, has accepted these wrongheaded, unbiblical notions has led us to the horror of where we are now. If you want to know how we got here, I say the blame, uh, I put the blame uh, at the, squarely uh, uh, at the foot of the American church. And so those of us who call our Christians really need to understand how we've been getting it wrong and and that we need to repent and change
0: like immediately, because things are already very bad. Do you know whom you're voting for? With every product you buy and every dollar you spend, you are casting your vote. Devoted Capital offers values-based investing portfolios that are designed to help you reach your financial goals, all the while making a positive impact on your life and the world around you. They are dedicated to educating, engaging, and empowering you to be wise with your investments and to equip you to be knowledgeable with your vote. Visit their website at devotedcapital.com to learn more about values-based investing or dial 805-372-0821 to speak to your values investor advocate today. Investment advisory services offered through Alliance Advisory and Securities, LLC, registered investment advisor. Yeah. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of parallels to, you know, what went on in Germany and now. And I want you, you to uh, cite some of those examples. But, but first, I think it's because the American church has been so uniquely blessed. And we see yeah. things in, in these guys, in their defense, they see things through, you know, their like American church goggles, you know, and, and the way that we have been so blessed. And they think, and I used to, I, look, I'm a really difficult person to be married to. And my wife is one of the most, uh, you know, biblically faithful and educated wives on the planet, and I would tease her early on in our marriage because there were some things that she looked at that were traditional based on how we did things here in America. And I would, you know, sort of be like, oh, that's just, you know, um, nonsense, that's not really, you know, biblical church stuff, that is, you know, American church construct." And again, you yeah. know, I was being a pain in the butt because that's that's who I am, and you know, I'm settling down over the years. But, um, but I think a lot of these guys, in their defense, you know, they they don't see Republicans and Democrats mentioned in the Bible, so they're going to say that Jesus was not a, a political activist, so to speak. Yeah. No, Jesus yeah, was I don't engaged see a
1: mentioned in the Bible. So go ahead. You know, it's but, kind of amazing in a way. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, but he was he was fighting against the political uh, leaders and authorities of the day. I mean, Christianity was pushing back against the authorities and, and uh, you know, uh, political um, actors of the day. But because, again, here in America, we're so narcissistic because it doesn't say, you know, Democrats and Republicans, and it doesn't talk about a two-party republic system and, you know, all those things specifically in the Bible— You know, we're 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 not able to imagine that.
1: Well, I mean, again, one of the things that I say in the book is that the world has changed. Uh, You know, 1985, the Democratic Party was Tip O'Neill. If Tip O'Neill is the Democratic Party, you don't need to be that political. But if the Democratic Party has swung over to where the president of the United States is advocating transgender madness, open border Madness, bringing fentanyl uh, into the country, destroying our economy. Everywhere you look, the Democrats have opened the door wide to cultural Marxism, which is at its heart atheistic. The Democratic Party didn't used to be there. If you don't speak against this, you are helping it to happen. People need to understand we are no longer living in that day when we could say, well, both parties have points and we can discuss these things. It's not just on the issue of the unborn. that That is like the major yeah. or one of the major issues. But we've gone way past that now to where one party, and believe me, I, I've got a lot of negative things to say about the Republicans, but I will tell you this. Amen. The, the the cultural Marxism that has come into this country, into this culture, has come in with the blessing of many Democrats. There's no question that this administration has has opened the door to all kinds of madness. And I want to be blunt, folks. If you can't call that out from the pulpit, or if you as a Christian leader can't talk about that, I want to ask you why. Where do you get the idea that you should allow evil to prosper and say nothing? That's what the German church did in the 1930s, they thought Romans 13. We don't get into that. We obey the governing authorities, folks. That's not biblical. When you when you pretend Romans 13 is the whole Bible, it's not biblical. <laughs> you have to look at the whole council of Scripture. And when people spoke against the slave trade, like my hero William Wilberforce, when Amen. people spoke against the Nazis, like my my hero my hero uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they were being what many people of the time said, Oh, you're being political. And they thought, well, maybe I'm being political, but I'm speaking God's truth into a godless culture for God's purposes. And it's going to bless people. And I know that if, if you have been in America for decades, you kind of have this idea, well, everything's okay here. The pendulum swings back and forth. And in the church, we don't get political. I'm here to tell you that cannot work. In this day and age, we're dealing with with hostile, atheistic uh, Marxism, cultural Marxism. It is antithetical to the gospel in a very explicit way. It wants to crush uh, liberty. And when you crush liberty, there is no opportunity to speak the gospel. There's no opportunity to advocate for the unborn. These things will be taken away from us, and they're being taken away from us because of the silence of pastors who've bought into a lot of these broken notions. And so I talk in letter to the American church about the German church because I say, look folks, it happened here in exactly the way it's happening now. These were a lot of good people who got this wrong and the result was judgment on a level we don't even wanna think about. We are uh, beginning to reap that judgment in this country, but we've only begun. We, We cannot imagine where it's going to go any more than the Germans could dream of the death camps. They couldn't even imagine that it could be possible for things to go in that direction. And so this book is a very sober warning uh, to the Church that we need to understand what happened then is happening now.
0: Yeah, you have a sentence I highlighted in here because it's, it's kind of what I'm hearing um, right now, you know, as I'm talking to some of these friends and pastors and other believers, um, but no one dreamt how far things would go. And every day, people are saying to me, wait, can you believe that? Can you believe they just did this? And I'm saying, get that out of your vocabulary now. We've been saying that for a couple of years now as things yeah. have continued to just descend. The other thing that I'm saying is there is there is no pendulum. I think that that idea of a pendulum is oh, yeah. is a complete myth to give it's people a, a little bit of comfort. It,
1: no, no, you it's, know, an that, it's an absolute lie. Yes. When people say that, think of the death camps. Imagine saying like, Hey, the pendulum swings back and forth. Yeah, imagine millions and millions of people being systematically murdered—children, women, old people—systematically murdered. That happened. Do you want yeah. the pendulum to swing there? Do you know what happened uh, in the Soviet Union—the the the satanic torture and persecution of men and women of God? Do you want that to happen, what happened during the Chinese Cultural Revolution? If you know history and if you can get your head out of the sand for five minutes and look around at the world and the evil that has been unleashed through atheistic philosophies, you understand it is not normal. What we think is normal in America is not normal for the world. And if you think things can't get infinitely worse, I honestly think things are getting bad now just to wake people up, just to make them understand, by the way – the pendulum is going to like swing all the way over the pit of hell. You, you want it to swing there, or do you think you should say something and do something?
0: Yeah, well, and it never, it never swings back far enough. So the idea of a pendulum is, is again, a lie, because it, it tends to trend towards this consistent theme of disorder and chaos. And you know, the only thing that will set that right is you know, repentance and, and God and you know, Christian men and women you know, riding this ship. Um, the other thing that I wish pastors would say and and focus on is that this isn't a battle again, you know, of of Christianity against the irreligious people. It's a battle of Christianity and really satanic religions, and and you know, they they are just as religious, and they're bringing all of their ideals into the way that they vote, behave, the way that they, um, you know, con- control and captain our industries and our are everything else.
1: That's the irony, right? In other words, and again, I write about this in the book, Letter to the American Church. I talk about how we we keep being told, don't be political, don't be political. And I think, first of all, that's not biblical. That's a a lie from the pit of hell. And the greatest Christians we've ever known have been political. William Wilberforce led the battle against the slave trade. Uh, All of the abolitionists, uh, the early abolitionists, were against slavery because of their Christian faith and they decided to bring that into the world of politics to bless those who are being enslaved to change uh the the narrative and to say this is evil and we need to get to a biblical view of humanity and to abolish slavery so we we have to understand that that lie has been going on and on and on and when you hear it today and people go yeah yeah we shouldn't be political we shouldn't bring politics in the pulpit i think to myself You know, that's like saying you shouldn't bring math into the pulpit. Don't say 1 plus 1 equals 2 because that's got nothing to do with the Bible. And it's like, well, all truth is God's truth. There's no such thing as Christian truth and other truth. So if I'm speaking about the sanctity of human life, some people are going to say that's political. Uh, If I speak that we're supposed to bless the poor uh, and that's why Marxism is evil because it crushes the poor and we have the history, we can look and see that. It creates the poor. It creates the poor. So – when we're talking about anything it's god's truth so the idea that we're supposed to stick to this stuff but what i find and you just were got me thinking about this is that and of course i write about it in the book is that when people are political on the left side they never say oh you're you're being political you're being political they 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 just kind of act like it's fine so that's what tells you that when people say oh christians shouldn't be political all they mean is we don't like your politics. We don't want you to advocate for these things. We want you to shut up. And we know there are enough of you who can be silenced simply by my using the word political. And I say, we have to stop. We have to start saying, I'm going to do anything. You want to call it political. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to fight for what is right and true. God commands me to do that. Uh, And I think there's a lot of timidity out there. Bonhoeffer actually makes it very clear. And of course I use him as my model in the book letter to the American church because he wrote a book called the cost of discipleship where he deals with similar stuff. And he's trying to speak to the Germans and say to them, you're not even, you're not even being faithful to what you believe or to what you claim to believe. You say it's all about faith and we don't have to really do anything. And he's saying, not according to scripture, scripture says, faith without works is dead. So if you don't put your faith into action, you actually have no faith. So by your own definition, you're going to hell because if you're saved by faith and faith alone, you're not demonstrating the evidence of any faith. You're just playing games, you're using the word faith. And Bonhoeffer of course writes about grace, the same thing. It's cheap grace, real grace is costly grace. You're going to live out your faith uh, and you're going to live out your your belief that the grace of God has saved me and is the answer to, to the world's problems. You're going to live that out in a way that's self-sacrificial. It's not easy to live it out that way. But when you do that, people are going to say, oh, that person actually has faith. Look at that. And people are attracted to that. And You and I uh, know that when pastors do talk about controversial things, guess what? their, uh, congregations increase our friend, Rob McCoy, uh, and many others that we've known when they decide we are going to be faithful to the truth. We're not going to worry about scaring away people who disagree. We're going to, we're going to be faithful to the truth. It turns out that the exact opposite happens. Tons of people are attracted because they say, you know, that kind of Christianity I could get behind the kind of mealy mouth, blah, blah stuff. I don't really, I'll skip that on Sunday morning. I'll, you know, uh, I'll do something else. I'll read a book. But when you see that kind of faith lived out at a time when the world's going crazy, you actually are attracted to it. And, and so uh, a lot of these churches, their, their giving has gone up. Their numbers have gone up. So it's exactly the opposite of what a lot of these pastors fear that I'm going to lose people. Well, you might lose some people, but you'll probably gain a lot more. And by the way, whether you lose or gain, you're being faithful to God's calling.
0: Look, I'm going to admit something. I'm a terrible gift giver, but not this year, because my friends at Good Ranchers are making it easy to give the gift of meat. This is actually a great idea. In fact, a hard economic year for most has caused essential gifts to be more needed and wanted than ever. Fortunately, you can easily give the most essential gift of all this year, delicious meat. Good Ranchers has gift boxes and gift cards so that you can give America's best meat and seafood this Christmas. With discounts on orders of five boxes or more, you can save on gifts for the whole family or your business. When you give someone a box of good ranchers, you're gifting them more than the best meat they've ever had. You're giving a true steakhouse experience. With 100% American, USDA prime, and upper choice cuts of beef, chicken, and seafood, you're sure to beat out the new socks and re-gifted candles for the best gift of the year. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com and use code LIBERTY at checkout for $35 off your delicious gift of meat. If you know someone that likes meat, then you know someone who will love Good Ranchers. Your gift goes further with them because they take the premium price out of premium meats. Go to GoodRanchers.com and find the perfect box for you or a loved one in their curated selection of hand-trimmed meat and seafood. Give the best meat in America. Support local U.S. farms and get thirty-five dollars off your essential gift with my code Liberty today. Good ranchers, American meat delivered. You know what's interesting about that during you know during twenty twenty and the height of uh, you know the shutdowns, lockdowns, all the stuff that was going on here. You know, in a couple of my businesses, I I have um, a high number of, you know, ex-military and or current law enforcement guys, guys that never before um, would have darkened the doors of a church, guys that were actually hostile to the idea of church or Christianity because they saw so much of this weakness, you know, and it just didn't feel, um, you know, compelling to them. Well, so many of these guys volunteered for security for Godspeak, and were there and being blessed by what was happening, and and have you know come to the faith as a result of seeing you know courage and seeing well, that this is what I, it's about.
1: The funny thing is, I mean, the, just the pastors that I have become friends with uh, in California, like Jack Hibbs
0: and yeah, and Rob amazing.
1: McCoy. I hear this story from them, but I am now being invited all around the country. There are churches like this around the country, and I'm hearing the same story. I was in Colorado. I was in Englewood, Colorado. I went to a church called Brave Church. Exactly the same story and the same kind of spiritual DNA, just on fire, huge numbers. The numbers are growing. Their numbers their giving has more than doubled because they have been vocal on this kind of thing. So I think the irony is that you have a lot of these you know pastors or church leaders that they're afraid to speak up on anything that might be controversial because they're afraid they're going to lose their congregation or lose some tithers or something like that. First of all, shame on you if that's how you determine what should come out of your mouth. You're supposed to do what be faithful to God. He'll take care of the tithing and the congregation. But the point is everywhere I go I hear the same story. Those pastors that are doing the right thing and that are speaking up on all this controversial stuff, they're just seeing their numbers explode because people are attracted at a time of madness. People are saying, is there anybody out there who knows what's really going on and who has the courage to talk about it? And I say this all the time, Bryce, we Christians claim that we believe Jesus defeated death on the cross. So we don't fear death. We don't fear anything. We know God is real. And there are people around this world suffering for their faith, uh, being killed for their faith, losing their families over overturning over to Jesus. In this country, can we not live out our faith in a way that is self-sacrificial? God doesn't say, well, that's extra credit Christianity. That's called actual Christianity. And if you're a believer in this country, uh, I really know that God is calling his church to live that kind of faith out and our numbers will increase. God is building a holy remnant. He's building His church. I, I see revival happening. When you talk about some of these guys who never went to church going to church, I think that is happening all around America. And so I'm actually hopeful.
0: Yeah, I I, I see it too, and and I am hopeful. And and you know sometimes I get pessimistic on the show because I do think that that um, uh, you know more of it will come if we are persecuted and prosecuted. And and that may be necessary, or, you know, for a time... But that's you know, that's we part may... of the
1: equation. There's no doubt that's part of the equation, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, eventually. I mean, you know, uh, is it now? Maybe. Um, but I do think that that um, it's going to get mar- um, remarkably worse before it gets better, and I think it has to. Um, I, I have been saying here locally with respect to our, you know, recent... Um, you know, not political defeats, but not huge political wins. Um, you saw that it just wasn't bad enough for people, and that's so many exactly people correct. didn't show up.
1: That is exactly correct. You, you are. I believe that's the Holy Spirit because that's my discernment and the discernment of an, uh, some other people that things need to get worse. And if we had won, if we had had a red wave, a lot of people would have been complacent. God wants. I said
0: to that yesterday.
1: God, what's yeah. that?
0: Said, I said yeah. that yesterday. I said yeah. if we had a red tsunami or a red wave, we would have just gone back to doing the things that we've always been doing and we would have been like, "Oh, hey, we dodged that bullet and that would have been worse for us." And so I, you know, I I I, I pray for real awakening, I pray for real yeah. revival and and if we yeah. had just, you know, won in the reg- in the way that we had wanted to win, it it would've been detrimental to us.
1: I kn- I know that to be true. And I think that because things are bad and getting worse, people are waking up uh, mm. and it's going to take that. This is God's mercy. God's mercy to I mean, listen, when I came to faith uh, in 1988, you know, I was going through a really painful time. And I think to myself, that was God's mercy. If I hadn't been going through that painful time, I would have not turned to God. So it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. But God had to humble me and take me through some tough stuff. And and I've had uh things like that happen subsequently that's part of how god speaks to us sometimes and he He lets us go through a tough thing to kind of wake us up to what really matters and that is re- really where i believe america is and where the american church is today uh is that god is he's getting our attention because he actually cares that we wake up and that we take action and that we live out our faith we don't just talk about our faith but we live it out self-sacrificially
0: yeah so, um, what you know? In reading this, by the way, I, I love this, and I want to keep encouraging people. Um, you know, letter to the American Church. Um, you know, read it. It's uh, it's a quick read. You can read it in a weekend. Um, you're you know you're a beautiful writer, so you're easy to read. Um, and in it, what what was the the part that maybe would stand out to people in the parallel between what went on in Germany and what's going on here? Like, you know, like what, was there anything as you went through this uh, that, that kind of stunned you uh, that you're seeing happening here? That was such a parallel.
1: Well, there are many. That's what's so crazy is that, that it's, it's, it's very similar. First of all, the German church in the thirties, Germany in the thirties was, was, dramatically similar to America and the American church today they were very prosperous Germany was a profoundly Christian nation at least culturally Christian this is the place where you know Luther uh, yeah. comes from this is Luther brings us you know Protestantism and the Reformation so they had this big in a sense um they, they had a complacency because they thought we are as Christian a nation as it gets they did not, have any idea of the fragility that if you don't fight for this if you just coast it can get very bad very quickly they didn't see that and so they were complacent and even when bonhoeffer was trying to wake them up and trying to wake them up and trying to wake them up they said you know go go away go away you're kind of a hothead you're an intellectual it's not it's just a pendulum swinging they really couldn't fathom the satanic evil that, that lay on the other side of, of just a few years, they couldn't get it into their head. And I really feel the American church is similar. It's like, we just don't believe things can get really, really bad. And it's why I wrote this book letter to the American church to say, listen, folks, the Germans thought that, okay. Yeah. Be aware that they were not, this is not some distant thing. This is, you know, my mother lived through this. I know people who lived through what happened in Germany. And of course I wrote my Bonhoeffer book. They were similarly unable to fathom the evil. Now, if you've traveled around the world, if you know anything about what goes on in the communist world, the evil in the world is extraordinary, absolutely huge. And we in America need to understand it can and will happen here. As we open the door, uh, to every kind of you know critical race theory, all, all of this cultural Marxism, these kinds of things are so pernicious, so evil that if we don't stand against it biblically uh, with, with everything we have, um, th- the evil that happened in Germany, the evil that happened that has happened around the world, that is happening in in China today and in, in different parts of the world, it is coming here. so, one of the biggest parallels to me was the inability to fathom what could happen. The Germans, if they could see what was going to happen, they might've taken action. And a lot of them, when they began to see where it was going, they said, Oh, Oh, now I get it. Now I'll speak up. And guess what? It was too late. late, Culturally we are, we are dramatically similar to, to Germany. I mean, it was a very sophisticated, culturally sophisticated nation. Um, But also, when I say, when I talk about the complacency, it really was because it was so Christian, they couldn't imagine anything else. They just figured, well, things will be fine. The church will be fine. The church has always been fine. Hey, the church, you know, came out of Germany, came from, you know, because of Luther. And they they really couldn't understand that unless you live out that faith, it can atrophy uh, very, very quickly. I really believe that's, that's where the American church is. But also, the more... Dramatic parallel is the excuses given by the Christian leadership for not speaking up are exactly, I mean, yeah. precisely the same excuses being given by Christian leaders today. They're wrong, but they have somehow gotten the idea that no, this is this is right. This is the true thing. And I'll and I'll tell you one other parallel that I wrote a chapter called Twelve Thousand Pastors. And the reason the chapter is called 12,000 Pastors is because when I was doing my research on Germany in the 30s, I noticed that about there were 18,000 Protestant pastors, just talking about the Protestants, there were 18,000 Protestant pastors. In 1935, so this is as the Nazis are taking control, they're, you know, into their taking control a couple of years in. By by 1935, 3,000 of the 18,000 were standing firm. So there were still 3,000 standing very, very firm. On the other end of the spectrum, there were about 3,000 totally pro-Nazis, totally willing to sell out the church 100% to the Nazi state. In the middle, there were 12,000 who refused to commit either way. That to me is the American church. In other words, you've got a handful of people that get it, but then you've got this vast middle that says, you know what? We're going to let the hotheads take the heat. We're going to let them get canceled, or we're going to let them whatever it is. I'm not going to speak up. I'm not ready yet. Yeah. I want to see which way the wind is blowing. You know, or the Nazis? If the Nazis win, uh, you know, if the if the if if the Marxists uh, win, uh, if the authoritarians win, I, I want to be on the right side. I don't want to get I don't want to get in trouble. So they are refusing to take a stand, refusing to fight, and it is silence in the face of evil. So they think they're taking the safe path. They're saying, well, but I'm not I'm not over here with the Nazis. I'm just keeping out of trouble. I'm just keeping out of this. I'm not taking sides. When you don't take sides, you have taken a side. And yeah. the Germans who were silent in the middle enabled the Nazis to take over. If, if, if another 3,000 had stood with the 3,000 brave Christian heroes, the Nazis never would have had the ability to do what they did. And we need to be clear that this is another parallel, is that the the Germans who were standing bravely, like Bonhoeffer, the reason they were doing it was because they actually knew that the only thing to stand against the evil of the Nazis, which was, of course, atheistic, the only thing that could really succeed would be the church. So the church needed to stand. And so if those 3,000 hadn't been hung out to dry by the 12,000, if some in the 12,000 had said, you know what, we need to stand with our yeah. with our brothers. Maybe only another 3,000. It didn't need to be all of the 12,000. But the point is that if any more had stood with the 3,000, there is no doubt, Bryce, and this is what's amazing to me, that they could have stood against the Nazis. They had the cultural power, but they didn't use it. They said, we're going to sit this one out. That, to me, is another dramatic parallel because I see a lot of people saying, well, I see these things, but – I just don't really wanna take a stand. I'm just gonna hang back. Those people enabled evil in Germany and they are enabling it in our generation. And again, I I wrote the book because I believe God's will is to wake up enough people. And I have heard from some people that have read the book and felt convicted. And I think, well, good, because I'm not writing this just to make you feel bad. I'm, I'm writing this hoping that God will convict you and cause you to want to turn to him uh, with, with your whole life, with your actions, because people are looking at you. And if you're silent, they're going to be silent. If you speak up, they're going to say, you know what? He's speaking about that. Maybe it's okay to speak about that. We need to, to turn the tide.
0: In home security, the number one home defense system is a land shark, otherwise known as a large protective dog. Well, We in the Eddie house have a new Rottweiler pup. Reacher is his name. He's already 90 pounds at seven months old, and I believe a big part of that is good nutrition. We do not feed our dogs the pet food equivalent of Cocoa Puffs. We feed him a carnivore diet and supplement it with pomade. Most pet store pet food is completely stripped of real nutrition and all the vitamins and minerals your dogs need to be healthy and vibrant. PawMade is an all-natural, longevity health supplement for dogs. It's made with a total of 23 dog-friendly superfoods that include premium superfoods like organic mushrooms, kelp, goji berries, and two different kinds of probiotics to keep your pup healthy and strong. This veterinarian-approved longevity formula boasts nutrient intake, protects against toxins, and guards against premature aging. That's important. Because aside from poor diet, pesticides in your grass and yard, poor air quality and other toxins can wreck their health. Right now, there is a limited time offer, especially for our listeners. For every purchase of longevity formula, you'll receive a free bottle of Pomade's hip and joint formula. To claim your offer, go to pomade.com forward slash liberty or call toll free 833 Palmade. That's P a w m a d e dot com forward slash liberty or call eight three three palmade p a w m a d e yeah uh, you know because we have been in as a part of this conversation and and you know the book itself is is focused on that 12,000 in the middle, right? Um, and those are the people that I do have compassion for. What I find interesting is, because um, I, I have real-life examples of it here, where I've had people come to me afterwards, and, oh, yeah, you go to Rob's church. Boy, you know, that was beautiful that Rob stood up like that. You know, boy, I wish we could have, you know, kind of a thing. It's like, wait a second, you could have. And if you had, and I and there's a few that I'm, I'm close enough to that I, I kind of ripped them a little. I said, if you had, and one other church had, you know, we would not have suffered like we suffered. You, you know, go. we would have won. We would have won quickly. We, we would we have go. overwhelmed the opposition. You exactly. know, it doesn't—we we have this, uh, this concept in, in um, you know, our, uh, uh, you know, military and law enforcement world about two can fight ten. And two can fight ten. And that's all we needed but we were, you know, out here alone, hanging in the wind in our county, where, where, unfortunately, a lot of those churches, and maybe they're part of that other three thousand, um, that were uh, blasting us and, and saying that we were, you know, uh, causing disunity, and and we were sure. we were the evil ones in the yeah. community for saying you shouldn't be locking down the church.
1: Well, again think of the irony. They're saying you're causing disunity. I mean, who cares about unity? We care about truth. Uh, that's just a a term. It's like saying you're being political. They're just using the term because they don't, they don't like your politics. They don't like where you're coming from. And also because it's convicting. Uh, some people just think like, you know, I don't, I don't want to be reminded that maybe I could be doing something. And I, I want to be clear about the reason I wrote the book letter to the American church is to reach those in the middle who can be reached. This is not a screed. This is not written in a harsh tone. This is to reason with those who would be open to what God has to say right now. I believe there are good guys out there right now who've been getting it wrong and they can get it right. And so this is not to those that are, uh, you know, like the, like the 3000 that were pro Nazi. No, this is to reach those people that, You know, they're troubled by some stuff, but they don't quite know which way to turn. They need a shot in the arm. They need some courage. I wrote this to give them courage. And I say to people, you know, if you're going to a church where the pastor is is not speaking up or is is, uh, on the wrong side of this, give them this book. And if they don't change, find another church because you need to give your time and your energy and your tithe uh, to those that are fighting. Because right now— Um, there's some that are never going to fight. They're just going to, they're going to hang back. Um, and I mentioned, I think I mentioned in the book, Martin Niemöller, who was one of uh, Bonhoeffer's friends. He was a hero. He got it wrong. So I mentioned Jim Daly of Focus on the Family earlier. There are good guys that are getting this wrong. And so Niemöller eventually saw that he was getting it wrong. And because he was a good guy from the beginning. He, he was not, you know, thinking, who cares? He was, he cared, but he, he misunderstood. And I got to tell you, when he finally got it right, it was too late. And so that's why I say this. I say to, to my brothers and sisters who are not understanding where I'm coming from, I, I say what I say in love. This is either the Lord has something to say to you or skip it. This is not Eric Metaxas's letter to the American church. This is either what God has to say or, you know, throw it in the garbage. But I really believe that God called me to write this to reach those who can be reached, you know, good guys who are just um, a little bit confused. And sometimes when things get really bad, as they are getting bad, uh, some of these folks are a little bit more inclined to wake up or to say, mm, maybe I've been getting this wrong. Maybe it's time I joined the fight. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, Bryce. I am genuinely hopeful, but we are in a battle. And if you don't join the battle, you're helping the opposition. There's no way around it.
0: I agree. Well, listen, I do believe that this was, uh, you know, uh, a calling of God for you to write this. Uh, uh, it is, it is written well. It is, I think, um, strikes the appropriate tone. I think it will wake people up. I think it is. Again, I, you know, I've, I've given out about ten copies. I'm going to continue to do that where I can. Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's beautiful, and again, worth everyone reading and spreading around. Um, in the, in the last, uh, well, first, uh, where's the best place for us to, uh, to get this so that it blesses you? Where do you want us to shop for this thing?
1: I, I think that the, the smartest thing, if people can't, uh, think of anything else, I always say go to ericmetaxas.com. It's just my name, my website, ericmetaxas.com. If you go there, um, you'll see a number of ways you can get the book, uh, and, and, uh, the best prices, but also sign up for my newsletter. Cause as many people know, I have been, uh, Canceled My YouTube, my, my program, The Eric Metaxas Show, which used to be on YouTube, was completely canceled. So yeah. uh, I'm sending my interviews uh, to people once a week with my newsletter and a lot a lot of other information, uh, which I can't get out on my radio program. So just if people can just go to ericmetaxas.com, they'll find everything they're looking for in my social media and everything.
0: Yeah. Well, I, well, I called the Dr. Fauci a fraud and got us blasted off of YouTube. So I was right, though.
1: <laughs> that's, that's exactly yeah but that's the whole point if you if, yeah. if you weren't right they wouldn't mind but it's when you're right when you're over the target that they come after you and so Amen. i mean we took a huge financial hit at trying to you know uh youtube was a way that we were reaching people who ordinarily wouldn't find my program but you know what we all have to pay a price god yes. is with us and folks rejoice when you pay a price rejoice when you're persecuted because the lord is with you he will make it up to you in ways you know you can't possibly outgive god and i think we need to understand that's normative christianity we do the Amen. right thing of course we're going to pay a price here and there but it's in the lord's hands
0: hey so in the last few minutes that we have i'd love to get your uh, uh thoughts on a couple of news uh items number one um, you know, they just released uh, in Russia. We traded for a essential uh, war war monger, uh, war criminal, um, uh, arms dealer for um, you know an intersectional hero. We just uh, we just made that deal with Putin, which yeah. I thought we were all about Ukraine these days. I thought everybody's about supporting Ukraine, and they just released a uh, you know a, a weapons guy uh, to to Putin. I find that disconnect so amazing.
1: No matter what this administration does, this administration is under a curse. This administration can't do anything right. Everything they do is not just wrong, it's disastrous. And I really believe that's God's judgment. When you turn Mm -hmm. your back on God's uh, purposes and on his will as dramatically and brazenly uh, as this administration has done, you're under God's judgment. And every time this administration does anything, it is a disaster. Uh, what happened in Afghanistan, everywhere you turn, disaster, disaster. Uh, I don't think that that will change. I don't think Biden will finish out his term. Um, We need to be faithful and pray and act. So I I am hopeful. But I think that, you know, uh, Trump would have gotten, first of all, if Trump were in in office, Putin never would have dared to do what he did. And so there's just no right answer to this. It's just a, it's a mess. This administration is, uh, as I say, as far as I can see, under a curse. No matter what they do, it's terrible.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great perspective. Um, second one I want you to, to weigh in on is the Twitter files. So we are all of the things that we said they were doing – are, are now being exposed. And, and this is you know, not just Twitter, but all of the speech suppression, all of the uh, censoring, the collusion with uh, government officials to censor conservatives or you know, the opposing narrative, all of that's being exposed now. And, and I'm, I'm finding it interesting to watch the um, media ignore it, number one, where they can. And where they do weigh in, I'm, I'm uh, enjoying their excuses. So what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I have to say that, again, we are in a battle. This is a death match between good and evil. This is a spiritual battle. And God, uh, in his mercy, uh, is allowing us to suffer and allowing us to see horrible things. But he is also encouraging us. The overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, the, the, the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk and what is coming out. We are getting just enough stuff to keep us going, to see that it's worth fighting. Uh, I I honestly believe all of this is going to come out, and that's part of the battle we're in, is to fight and fight and fight to get the truth to come out so that those who have been persecuted will be vindicated, whether it's those who are in prison because of J6 uh, or whatever. That 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 we are in a horrible battle, but the truth is coming out. And so I am absolutely hopeful, uh, but we have to really—these we, we, are not easy wins. We have to keep fighting and keep pushing and keep fighting and pushing because this is what God calls. He calls us to this battle, and so I, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm thrilled when we get, you know, some wins, but it, it's not easy. We have, to, we have to stay at it.
0: Yeah, well, I, I love your term deathmatch, and um, have you had uh, Kurt Schlichter on your show? Because he articulates that beautifully.
1: Uh, I, I have not no
0: you should you should he's uh he's a live wire and uh he um, he he definitely calls the battle what it is i think very clearly and very very well uh and without apology and and it is a death match you know this is this is beyond just a little you know culture war um you know we've been talking about for the last few years and there is so much at stake and we have to treat it that way
1: well, and if you don't realize what's at stake, you're not going to fight hard enough. You have to understand, folks, you're dealing with satanic evil. This is not just, well, people have a different point of view. It's like a sport, sporting match. This is, you're dealing with satanic evil on, on, on innumerable fronts. And unless you understand there is evil and evil is far worse than you thought, it wants to destroy you and your children. It wants to destroy everything that's good. Um, until you get that, You will not fight in the way you need to fight. And God calls us to this fight. He strengthens us to fight his way for his purposes. So we're literally born for this hour. We're born for this battle. Uh, And so we can rejoice in the midst of it. We have to rejoice in the midst of it.
0: Well, those are perfect words to end on. Um, Again, remind everybody where to follow you so they have that top of mind. Yeah, uh, it's just my
1: name, if anybody can spell it. Eric Metaxas, ericmetaxas.com. There's all kinds of stuff there people can check out, but please go to ericmetaxas.com.
0: Hey, well, I I love you. Um, I'm so blessed by you, and thanks for coming on.
1: I love you too, my friend. God bless you for doing this program, and thanks for having me.
0: All right, excellent. Thank you for joining us on Liberty Station. I hope you enjoy the show. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on Rumble, Liftable TV, or Spotify, or anywhere that you consume podcasts. Please text these episodes to your friends and support our advertisers.